times, talking it over with basketball coach Brad Korn and Braxton Stacker, the former Murray State racer, is here. We will talk with Braxton coming up. Coach Korn is in the house. How are things, Coach? Things are doing. We're doing all right. Things are okay. Weather's pretty awesome right now. They said it's about 10 degrees above the normal average temperature for this time of year. Yeah, it's uh, it's gorgeous. I, of course, just walked in, and anytime the sun's out, you know, and that's what um, you get in a good mood. We had some workouts this morning with the guys, and just uh, it always helps to helps the mood, helps the vibe when the when the weather's nice. So, guys had good energy, good um, uh, attention to detail this morning, and another group this afternoon. So, looking forward to it. Another week to get better. A big week for us at home. Uh, see if we can't get back on track of protecting the the Show Me Center and playing a little bit better uh, as we head into the last eight. All right, you played two games since last we chatted. Uh, the first game was last Tuesday at Lindenwood, a tight game late, and Lindenwood unbelievably, uh, I believe, hit their final 14 free throws. They went 10 for 10 in the final 90 seconds. That's how you win close games, and that's how they won their game against you, 58-54. I just couldn't miss from the free throw line. Couldn't miss from the free throw line, and really in that game in the second half, with about eight minutes left, we go up six. Uh, so we're up six with eight minutes left, uh, and then we, we dive through a passing lane, give up a layup, and then Bean went for ten straight off of just right-hand seam drives, left-hand seam drives. So didn't do a great job of keeping the ball in front, a little miscommunication on switch or not switch instead of locking into the ball. Uh, but really, quite honestly, Eric, our, our, um, our offense has just been struggling so much. Uh, perimeter shooting has been an issue. Getting to the foul line has been an issue. Uh, turnovers in certain games have been issues. Uh, and so, and really, I think going back and watching the film, and we're just we're missing a lot of guys on passes and timing. You know, the the actions that we're running, the things that we're doing are pretty pretty solid, uh, but we're just missing the timing. Um, to make a bad sport analogy, if it was football, um, you see quarterbacks get sacked if the timing is off between the uh, receiver and the quarterback. Uh, then you, you just don't have that much time to get it right. It's It's got to be on time. It's got to be on target, and we're just missing that a little bit. So we're getting sacked uh, too much. Then we'll get the timing right between a quarterback and the receiver, and then our whole line will give up a, a blitz or whatever to make another bad sports analogy. I don't know anything about football. I try to hang around Tuke as much as possible, but I don't know anything about it. Um, or just, you, you got a wide-open guy, and he drops it for a first down on third down, you got a punt. Yeah, just, yeah, it seems like that just keeps happening. We'll get one thing going, but then we can't get the next. We'll get that going, then we can't get the next. And we just that's where it's been for us uh, offensively, and then that just compounds the defense again because now your mind goes somewhere else or you're not as engaged as you would have been if we had made that layup. And, again, we keep talking about margin that we have for, for error, and we just don't have that big of one. So if we do do an action that is on time, on target, and we execute it correctly and then miss a layup, it just possession after possession that becomes deflating. And then, you know, no matter what you say or no matter what you do, that takes your mind off it as a young person on the defensive end as well. And so now you give up those straight line drives that you wouldn't have gave up early in the game, in which we don't do early in the game. You know, first 10 minutes of these ball games, we've been, we, we play well, we play like we practice. And then all of a sudden, as it goes, and then as the stress mounts and then the anxiety and the pressure is not the right word, but just the letdown, then it just seems to become too much in our minds. And then we give up 8-0, 6-0, 10-0 runs to the other team on the defensive side. So. Being able to capture those moments, and I thought we did a pretty good job of that. I, I thought we overcame that in the Edwardsville game because it was the same thing. We're down 38-30 in the late in the second half, and then we just we hang with it, we hang with it, we hang with it, and we found a way. Um, but um, just hasn't been the, hasn't been the case. And uh, but it's a great two games here for us to get back on track. Um, but again, just because we're at home, just because we're playing 
uh, tech, you know, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. We have to do the work today, tomorrow, and Wednesday for what will ultimately be Thursday and Saturday. You know, Tennessee Tech, it seems like they mirror you in this respect. Those are the two teams that played for the NCAA tournament, that played for the OVC championship, you and Tech, and you're tied for the bottom of the standings now. I think it's a surprise for both programs, but you're kind of in the same boat, and uh, sometimes that's the way it goes uh, in this day of, uh, of the portal and uh, this day of college basketball. Yeah, it is very ironic. Uh, you even go back even to the COVID. Every, actually, every game that we've played against Tech, uh, I think at third place this year when we had the foul, I think the final went being six or seven points or something like that. We had to foul late. But other than that, every year, every game has come down to the wire, uh, last possession or the last two minutes of the game every year that I've been here. So all games have been uh, tight and close with them. But, um, you know, I think you, you do. I, I thought about it the other day. Here we are, both programs playing for the, um, the NCAA tournament berth. Now we're both here, hit a little bit of a rough patch, struggling. They've had injuries, a bunch of injuries on, on their side. They only played seven guys in their last game. Um, you know, we've had a couple injuries that, of course, anytime you have two guys that probably would have started for you all season long, only start about three to five games for you. That hurts, especially when you're counting on those guys, not just because they were seniors, but we were counting on them to be um, guys for us. And you look at what Kobe Clark can do on the defensive and rebounding side, and you look at what Dylan does from an offensive standpoint. He's a ball connector, a ball mover, knows exactly where to go on offensive plays, directs guys. Uh, so is, is Dylan a 20-point-per-game guy, even though he may think he is? Uh, there's a lot other things that he does that helps offensive move and flow, especially against the zone getting into the high post, seeing the other side of the floor. So, uh, again, at Western Illinois, Dylan played really, really well. So it's no secret that we came down to the wire with them at their place. And then at home, we hit those stretches and those lulls because, again, the defensive, the IQ, and the ball movement on offense is something that Dylan does. So you look at Tech, you look at us, it's just a lot of uh, a lot of injuries and setbacks. And then we were just super young behind that. And uh, that's just the reality of it. The Lindenwood game last Tuesday was a very – unique game in that each team hit one three-point field goal in the game. Yours came with 1.1 second left to extend your streak. You'd hit 400. You'd hit a three in 470 consecutive games. 08. Last time Simo didn't hit a three-pointer in the game. Uh, it looked like it, that streak was going to go by the wayside. Ursher hits one late, uh, but unfortunately it was too little too late. They went one for 11 I'm sure you can say good defense. Sometimes you miss open shots. That, I don't know, how, you could probably count on one hand how many Division One games this year featured each team with only one three-point make. Yeah, offense was a struggle yeah. uh, that day. It was, what, I think it was, what, 20 to 18 or 20? 20, 20 to 18 at halftime. Half uh, so it just was a struggle all the way around. Um, and the, Is that the definition of a rock fight? I thought the definition of a rock fight was our SIUE game. Okay. 38-30 in the second yeah. half, and it just was so physical. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of fouls. And the Lindenwood game was physical. They, For everything that people may think or not think about Lindenwood, uh, Kyle does a great job of getting those guys. They're, they're, very, they're very physical, and they were physical out front with us. Um, but that was I'm trying to be not so negative on that game. But uh, I thought Edwardsville was a little bit more of, a, of that true rock fight. Uh, and I think the, the Lindenwood game was just a – nobody could really get their footing. It just it, – it was spotty. There was a bunch of clock issues. Uh, there's fouls. It just seemed to be start, stop, 
Uh, there's always a lot of people in the in the building. It's always hot in there. So just kind of one of those um, old school games. I guess that is the kind of the definition of what you're saying of a rock fight. Uh, but you wish there had been just a little bit more offense uh, for it to be considered. And that's why I thought Edwards was maybe was a little bit more true definition of a, of a rock, fight, rock fight and still being a uh, collegiate basketball game. Also, uh, I know this is not something that uh, you're concerned about, especially after you lose the game. But uh, there were almost 2,000 people there at Lindenwood. They haven't been getting big crowds. The fact that there are so many SEMO alums in the St. Louis area, there was a lot of red there. That boosted their attendance number. You had you had a lot of support that night. Yeah, and then you look at, obviously, Dylan Branson, Braxton Stacker, Rob Martin. Um, BJ. Yeah, BJ Ward. You know, you got a lot of people that are coming, not just family, but then friends and everybody you went to high school with, if they're in the area during that time, they're going to come and check that game out. So uh, I think a lot of people may or may not talk about a rivalry and – um, I don't really necessarily see it as much just because we're in the same state. You know, Edwardsville, we've been playing them longer and just about the same distance, quite honestly. So, um, you know, good atmosphere, small gym. Like I said, it's hot in there. It's kind of an old-school throwback type of a hot, small gym, loud, um, tense, you know, all those things. Which Fans right on top of you. Right on top of you, which makes for a, a good game and a good rivalry. And they, those have been close games. Every game with Lindenwood has been a, a pretty tight game outside of our place here the first year, and then, of course, in the OVC tournament. Last year there was double overtime. Double overtime at third place. Yeah. And, um, you know, Phil didn't play in that game. And, you know, they bring – the one thing I did notice, too, about Lindenwood is they've – the, the other athletes come out and they get good support from their from their students. Uh, so there's just a, a little bit of – just goes to show you, too, Eric, if it, it doesn't take a ton to make a pretty good impact. And when you have a small gym like that and you get a couple thousand people in there, it feels like there's a whole lot more people than there actually is and oftentimes when a player appears on this show they go out and have a really good game the next game and josh early was on the show last week and within 24 hours it is 19 points and it's 11 rebounds for josh early he played really well he did and he had been playing really well in these last couple he hasn't played as well uh, and i don't know exactly what it is um you know i thought he was gonna he had a great game against cisse Western Illinois at their place. I think he had 16 and, and 7 or something like that at their place. And then he just didn't have it the other night, you know, and for whatever reasons. And uh, thought we got him, got him the ball in good spots. He just didn't convert, didn't um, – just to me, he didn't seem as aggressive as he'd been in the past and confident in his moves uh, for whatever reason. So a little bit off guard, caught off guard with that. But, again, we can't seem to get – one to two guys, two guys going together, three guys going together. Rob got off to a great start. He's 4-9 in the first half. And then, again, due to foul trouble, didn't get a shot in the second half. Uh, so, again, we, we've got to get a little bit more consistency on that side of the ball, uh, which is, again, going to help us a little bit more on the defensive side because it does. Offense gives your defense energy and life. And, uh, when you again, when you struggle, struggle, or you have to manufacture things every single time down the floor, it makes it very, very stressful. You know, something else in the game against uh, Lindenwood, uh, Rob Martin got off to a really slow start in the second half. Yeah. And this is a leading scorer on your basketball team. Uh, the final several minutes of the game, you had him over there on the bench. I mean, he did not play. It, it, it's a low-scoring game. You need offense. Martin had kind of struggled. And you stayed with uh, with B.J. Ward. He played 22 minutes. Um, that's the most minutes he's played in a conference game 
Yeah, I, I just thought it was BJ's game. You know, there's that game. There's those games. Uh, there's been times when Braxton hasn't gotten a lot of minutes, or you know, TJ's played really well, and uh, so you got to go with who's where the game is at. Again, Rob was in foul trouble in that game, um, but I think in that game he also had maybe four or five turnovers, if I'm not mistaken, Rob. Four. Four yeah. turnovers. So again, if you're turning the basketball over and just not playing well, it's just you know, we can't keep. We're trying to win the basketball game, and you don't get to just keep playing just because. I mean, there's been times and moments, and McQuanas um, had to sit on the bench for extended periods of time just because it's not it's just not going well. Josh Early at early in the season, Chattanooga, Evansville, David Idata got a lot of minutes, and David got 12 rebounds in the Chattanooga game. So again, just like anything, your job, my job, production matters, and uh, I just thought BJ had, had played well. His his speed was good in that game. He was getting in the lane. He was setting guys up. So. Uh, it was nice to see him play that way like he had started the season at Grand Canyon. Uh, so, again, it just was everybody's due for a bad game, a bad night. And, unfortunately for us, we've had too many guys have bad days, bad nights on the same day. Uh, but that happened to be Rob's. Uh, but he does respond. He wants to get coached. He is a good player. And this is the most game minutes he's ever played in college. And not only the most game minutes he's ever played, the most game minutes he's ever played come January, February. So there is a little bit of a – a drop down, a little bit of wear and tear on you. Um, on top of being 19 years old and basketball, life, successes, no successes, a lot of things that go into that and a lot of that go into your psyche. And so, uh, But Rob's a resilient kid. These all, all these guys have been resilient, uh, want to be coached, want to be driven to what they want uh, from the team and from themselves. So it's just a, a matter of staying on them and, and keep believing that they're going to get to where they ultimately can be, and where they can be is going to be pretty good here in the future. Aquan Smart had 11 points in the uh, Lindenwood game, and then uh, Aquan only 15 minutes on Saturday against Western Illinois. Two points, two boards, limped out of the game. He had, he had to leave the game a couple of times to see the trainer, but he limped out of the game, and we didn't see him again. What do we know about Aquan Smart and uh, his availability in the near you know, future here, you, you got a game Thursday. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's one of those situations, like if we played today, he probably he wouldn't play, uh, but potential that he could play on Thursday. It's just a, he got, he just got crushed. I mean, he just got hit uh, at a bad spot at a bad time. He didn't see it coming at all. Most of the time, obviously, you can brace yourself if you see the contact coming. He just got, he got hit by a grown man and uh, didn't see it coming and uh, just in pain, a lot of bruising. And as we know, bruising, takes time, and then you're going to get hit again, and it's just probably one of those things that's going to stay and linger for the rest of the season, uh, so more so of a, of a pain tolerance. But uh, and that's what Western does, very, very physical. Uh, attack the glass, post you up, put you in compromising situations. Started that game, I didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, you know, Stack went out pretty early with an ankle, uh, reoccurring ankle injury. Quan went out with, he seems to get hit in the face or the hand or foot or something every game. So he goes out, and I'm starting to wonder, like, we're going to be a Purdue-Fort Wayne from a year ago situation where we only have six guys able to finish the game. So thankfully those guys came back, and uh, but being stacked, and uh, someone else had got hurt. I think Mason had got hit in the eye. He got a black eye today. So, um, you know, it's just a, one of those things. But I don't know if a Quan is going to be – we'll see. You know, we'll right. see. Like I said, if we had to play today, he wouldn't play. So uh, after the nice game against Lindenwood uh, for Josh Early, three points, three boards, one for four uh, from the field, uh, how much do you think Western Illinois' defense had to uh, say about that? And uh, you're talking about uh, going up against the leading uh, rebounder, leading shot blocker. I think uh, Cissé 
is going to be the defensive player of the year. It should be a runaway vote, most likely. Uh, and, you know, they focused attention. You know, he, early in the game, they came with a double team. I mean, how much do you think uh, did the way that they play kind of took away Josh Early's strengths? Yeah, I think that that's, um, again, he had a good game against them at their place. So at people obviously place. are going to make adjustments. You know, again, I, I always say over and over again, every game is different, every team is different. So it doesn't matter that you played them. Of course, you got to go back and see what you did the last time, but that means they're going to come with a different game plan. Probably if you, you did well on the defensive player there, what it looks could be the defensive player of the year. So uh, I think they did a good job of taking them out. I think they, they do a unique style defensively anyway, Eric. They leave him in the lane. They don't really bring him out. You don't see that much uh, to where guys just stay in the lane. Uh, but he does such a good job. He's got such great timing. He's blocked shots. But I think the other thing, and just the more I, you watch it and you look at it and – Moorhead's doing a great job, and they're in first place. And uh, to me, the, the MVP or the player of the year, uh, I know a lot of times it goes to the guy that leads it, whoever's in first place in the leading score. But to me, Cissé is, and I'm not taking anything away from those other guards or their team or anything else. but So Minix would be the guy on Moorhead who's going to, if it's it, the most votes for player of the year on Moorhead State, it's going to be Riley Minix. But. Yeah, and I don't know if I, to me personally, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you can still be the most valuable player in your team finish second. Because I think if you take CSA off Western Illinois, what is their, you know, I just, I think there's enough other places. And, again, no, not to take anything away from Riley Minix. His numbers are fantastic. Yeah. And he's playing very, very well, and the team is in first, so why not? So I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just think that CSA is just that important, uh, not just only from the defensive side. And that's where I was going with that. He has five assists. He has a positive assist turnover ratio on the season. Uh, which you never see that from big guys. If you went and polled all the fives assist turnovers in the conference, he's probably the only one that's got a positive. Um, a lot of guys on their team don't even have positive assist turnovers. In conference play, he went into that game ninth in the league in assists. In conference games, right. in addition to leading rebounder and block shot guy, I, th those are three statistics that usually don't jive. And from the five, from the center position. Uh, so a lot that's a that's a unique situation and that to me that's what I'm saying as far as not just defensive player of the year he needs to if they can continue on like this he might need to be in conversation for player of the year just because he does impact the game on both ends of the floor the way that he does um, and anytime you they're posting up guards and yeah he may be a little bit raw and he may be back to the basket or not have a, a awesome back to the basket game but man anytime he's at the top of the key he's able to put the ball on the floor and drive to the basket and get layups He's able to assist the way that he assists. Anytime they get caught, they would just throw the ball out to him at the top of the key because, again, he's got another center guarding him, so they're always able to get catches to alleviate pressure. And now with those guard size and the way that they can post up, they've kind of inverted everything. And so, again, if you have a guy that can see and pass and be able to deck it and put it on the floor a little bit, that's, that's a pretty unique situation. And so, again, I, I'm just giving him more credit as far as a potential player of the year, not just – defensive player of the year because he's able to affect both sides that way and for those who are not following the conference standings western illinois is eight and two moorhead's yeah. nine and one uh you look at the losses for western illinois they lost on a basically a buzzer beater at home the tennessee state guy hit the shot uh with three seconds left and they lost by one then they go to Moorhead, and, you know, that's a team that uh, has not lost a home game. They're 10-0 at Johnson Arena, so that's going to be a tough place for anybody to go in there and win. And now, after finishing a four-game road trip, which is what Western Illinois did, one of those games 
Moorhead State. They just went four straight on the road. They went three and one. So they're only a game behind Moorhead. Everybody's got eight games left. But now because of all the road games, they've got six of their final eight, Western Illinois, at home, including Moorhead coming in. And Moorhead State uh, has a bit of an advantage, too. They've got five of their final eight games uh, in Moorhead, Kentucky. I mean, that that could go right down to the wire, the, the championship. And, and let's not forget UT Martin. They're seven and three. They're only a game behind Western. Yeah, and I think West. Uh, I'm sorry. I think Martin is a very, very dangerous team just because of the way they score the ball. Um, they have enough talent to where if you get them in a three-game, two-game tournament situation, they've got enough talent to where they could cause uh, some real problems. They don't show me signs that uh, if it's tight game, they're going to lock you down on defense. Right. right. But they're going to be able to outscore you most teams. Uh, yeah. You know, when, when they get hot. They remind me a lot of how we were a year ago. You know, we were. Yeah, well, we're gonna we were defending you, but it wasn't it wasn't like we're getting this stop until we played an OVC tournament, and we were fantastic in OVC tournament. But again, we were more caught up in we'll outscore you as opposed to stop you, like you're saying. So uh, Martin is is interesting. Uh, the whole league is kind of interesting as it relates to road games. Um, you know, Edwardsville has their last home game when we go there. Uh, I think they finished with four straight on the road or something crazy like that, but. Uh, and all that said, Eric, we've won at Moorhead the last two seasons, so I'm not saying that's going to happen again uh, this year. Of course, we're going to go and, and try, but it's just been we've gone back and forth, neck and neck with them for the last two years. Uh, they've won here three straight years. We've won over there for two straight years. So And you beat them in the tournament. And they're, Yeah, so they're sitting there saying, well, this is not going to be just because we're at home, we're not going to beat SEMO because the last two years we haven't beat SEMO. So there's a lot of those things going on. And um, You know, you look at Moorhead, and again, to not to, to beat a dead horse, but uh, – it's just you don't know game to game, year to year. Um, Moorhead loses player of the year at the start of the season in Freeman, uh, but they get Riley Minix, uh, who's Alex Gross's best friend. And Riley Minix is having a fantastic season. If Freeman is back, is Riley Minix having the season he's having? Is Jordan Lathan, who's playing well for Moorhead, having the season he's saying? You just, you, if you find that right combination, anything is possible. It's, you know, Riley Minix was an NAI player a year ago. Ben Hashimura at Evansville was an NAIA player a year ago. Cisse uh, was Division II at Umsel two years ago or a year ago. So levels don't really matter. I know we get caught up in USI and Linwood being D2 two years ago. It's like, well, that doesn't, you know, if, if Stan doesn't lose his guys, he's got a, there's a guy starting at Valpo. Uh, there's a guy on his team that's starting at Green Bay who's having a heck of a season. If he doesn't lose those guys, who knows what happens? when they just jump into the OVC. So there's there's good players everywhere. So level and, and D1 and this, that, and the other. You see it all the time in the NCAA tournament. That's what makes the NCAA tournament so good. Like, is Fairleigh Dixon really ever supposed to beat Purdue in the NCAA tournament? Absolutely not. But there's good players everywhere, and you got to go play the game. So it, records, statistics, where a certain guy was, what you were a year ago, now more so than ever, I don't know if any of that matters. Well, Southern Indiana's women are an example of that. They just moved to Division One last year. Their women are nine and one in their second year at Division One, and rolling right now for an OVC championship. Yeah, you just, if you can capture it, and momentum is a is a powerful thing. And I thought we had that after Edwardsville. You know, that's what was this so disappointing heading into those next few games for us. Is I thought we finally had reached that point. You know, there's always that point in the season where you finally tap into what you what you could be, and I thought that was going to kind of be the turning point for us and our group. Uh, but it didn't end up being that way. And so now we've got to capture back that momentum. I told the guys, even heading into the Western Illinois game, Eric, I really thought we were going to win that basketball game. 
I thought our guy. I thought we were going to come out ready to go. We were going to match him from a physical standpoint. We knew we had to rebound the basketball, playing at home. Offensively, I thought we were going to get some shots to fall from the perimeter. Uh, Josh had a good game the game before, so it's like, all right, I, I really feel that this is going to be a game that we're going to. Because then we have two games coming back after that at home. So let's get on a little run. Here comes this momentum. And unfortunately, it didn't happen that way for us. So we've got to recapture that momentum and get some positivity heading into uh, Thursday's game. Because, like I said at the start of the show, it's a big big week for us. Yeah. A lot of basketball left. And for two straight games, what's interesting, Lindenwood is a pedestrian free throw shooting team. If you just look at their numbers, they're, they're average. For them to go 14 for their final 14 in the second half, they went 15 of 16 overall, but 10 for 10 in the final 90 seconds of the game. And then you get Western Illinois, who is a completely different animal altogether. There are 351 Division One teams that play men's basketball, 351. They came into the game ranked 349 out of 351 in free throw percentage, and they go 87% from the line, 13 of 15. How do you see that coming? I, I, they haven't gone 13 for 15 in any game they've played this year. Yeah, I just think it's confidence. You know, I, I, th- I think we gave them in that after the first 10 minutes, really to close the last 10 minutes of the first half, I think they just came in with so much confidence. I, I really think that's all it was. Um, just the way that they were talking and crashing the glass after they, after they were scoring and uh, just the look on some of our guys' faces just of uh, – uh, bewilderment of shock of like oh, I can't believe they scored and it's just like it's it's basketball we got to keep on playing uh, but I, I think they just had supreme supreme confidence after that first 10 minutes uh, with a team like that and how physical they are um, and, and the way that they attack the rim and attack the paint you've got to meet that challenge way before the ball gets to the rim and unfortunately for us we waited till the ball got to the rim to start that fight and uh, I think they just had a ton of confidence going into it and then it just when things aren't going well it just seems that, again, until you until you put your foot down, until you put multiple uh, feet on the ground to say you're going to stop that momentum and change it, it's probably going to snowball. And unfortunately for us, it just keeps snowballing in areas that it hasn't happened before. And so again, we've got to do a better job as a as a group from a defensive and from a physicality and a toughness standpoint of making sure teams don't have that type of confidence heading in. And you know they defy normal basketball logic in that. Of their ten conference games, only two have been decided by double digits. You know, they they beat their first game against Lindenwood and the game against you. Everything else is single digits. You're not supposed to win eight of ten when, you know, eight of them are single digits and you're literally one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the nation. That that doesn't seem like it jives, but give them credit. Uh, they're good and one other idiosyncrasy of this particular game. They have so many outlets. They don't have a dominant scorer. Right. They just right. don't. They have dominant rebounder. They have a dominant shot blocker. A lot of great rebounders, but one dominant rebounder. And in a game where they score 76 points, six players scored in double figures. That's almost impossible. It is. And, they, and again, give them, give them credit because they were doing a great job of finding mismatches on our end. That, uh, that's what impressed me about how yeah. do you get six guys in double figures? Guys are unselfish. You know, here's our mismatch here. Yep. We're going to make the shot. It wasn't Keenan Cole with 42 and Bean with 20 and everybody else at four. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that. I mean, they, they really have got a lot of outlets. And they're, they were efficient with what they were doing. Again, when you can just catch the ball 12 feet from the basket – 
back down, back down, back down, and I'm right at the rim, and I go two for two. I get free throws. You know, I go three for three or three for four. Well, there's six, a couple free throws, there's ten. It's, it's really not that hard. We talk about it a lot with our big guys. If you can get two rim run, one in the first half, one in the second half, you get six free throws. There's ten points just like that. And so I think people overcomplicate how, you, you know, everybody wants to score, but they have no idea how to score. I was like, well, I want to score run me a play. I was like, well, you know how, do you know how to come off of a pin down? Do you know how to get your feet right? Do you know how to square up? Do you, can you put it on the floor when they take that away? And so there's a whole lot more that goes into it other than just scoring, and they did a great job of finding mismatches. They posted up Rob after he got his third foul right in the middle of the floor. And, again, when you have a five-man that can assist and drive it, you know, it, now the lane is really open for those guards, and so they can pick and choose and put people in certain spots. And I – Cisse just he keeps the, the offense flowing. So if it's not there, he's smart enough to obviously go into a dribble handoff the other way uh, and get another action going that way. So uh, to me, he's he's not Cameron Crutwig, the kid that played the left-handed big guy that played at Loyola when they made their runs uh, there with, with Porter Moser. But he's very similar in that regard, that the lane is always open and he can continue to make plays. If you have your center leading or at the top in assists, uh, if you have a a center in the top ten in, the, in your conference and assist, good things are going to happen. Uh, it just allows those guards now to be able to catch in space and on different spots on the floor without the defense staring them down. Crutwig, and then I think you even go another step further with that, Eric, is Avila, the, the center at Indiana State, and they're having a great run. I don't know if they got ranked today or not, but they're probably pretty close to be getting ranked in the top 25, and he is kind of that point center. Um, you see it in the NBA, Joker with, with the Nuggets, kind of that point center. So if you have a high basketball IQ guy that can help alleviate the point guards and the other guards, boy, you're going to be a, a tough, tough matchup for people. Also in the game, um, if you just look at the statistical categories, Western won the statistical categories, except you did hit more three-pointers than they did, believe it or not. You hit seven, they hit five. But the, the two guys uh, that were bright spots for you, are freshmen, and uh, you know, with the porter, with the portal, and different things, uh, we're not seeing as many freshmen, and they get a lot of minutes all throughout college basketball because everybody's trying to get a veteran that they can plug right in, who's got a lot of D1 experience. But your two freshmen, Marquez Bell and B.J. Ward, each scored 11 points in the game. Those were your two double-digit scores, and both of those guys are starting to see more minutes. Yeah, and, and you know, BJ went a stretch there where he just wasn't getting a ton of minutes. Started out great, uh, but then he had a drop. Uh, just freshman, freshman type moments in, in basketball and figuring out what's going to cause him to have success. And he's done that lately. I, I think he's gotten out of second gear. He's playing with a higher motor. Uh, he seems to be a lot more determined and, and sure of himself and understanding how he's going to operate in the college game. And then uh, Kez is just. Um, you know, talk about everything that he is and is about and the way his, his work ethic and the way he approaches it. He keeps a great attitude, and uh, he's going to continue to get those minutes. And then when he got his number called, he produced. You know, at Little Rock was a fantastic game, and not just scoring, but his defense, his physicality, he's, uh, he's athletic and he's coachable. You know, I think that probably one of the better things that I saw that Western Illinois game is you, f you really find out who somebody is when stuff isn't going right. You know, you find out who your character is. Anybody can stand up there on Selection Sunday and everything's great and everybody's a great player and everybody's a great coach, but who are you when things aren't going well? And things hadn't been going well from a record standpoint for us. Kez didn't play a lot early, got some spotty minutes, and then the other night, 
with whatever it was, a minute and a half, two minutes left. Uh, there's a loose ball on the on the sidelines, and he dives over chairs and saves the basketball. You know, those those are things that coaches pay attention to. I think he dove over Hobbs and Spear on the sideline. I didn't see anybody reaching to keep him from going uh, onto the concrete, or maybe I missed it. Well, if he got over both of those guys, maybe he <laughs> okay. needs to get into track. Uh, that's one heck of a feat. All but, right, uh, they're claiming they were trying to assist over there. I, I, I think that's uh, what they were flailing about over there. Yeah, but, it, you know, again, if, you, if, if, that's, if that's your mentality, you're going to be all right. Those are the types of guys that we want in SEMO jerseys, um, and he obviously has the, the fabric in the family that supports that. And so give him a ton of credit for sticking with it. He stays in and goes and gets extra work in in the weight room, even when we're not scheduled as a team. So, again, it's that whole you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And he's stayed ready, and when his number was called, he's produced. And, um, you know, guys that want to play like that, they're going to keep on getting minutes. Uh, regardless of what a record is, regardless of what a class is, that's how you have to play basketball here at CMO, and we're going to support that. And uh, I appreciate that, especially from – a young person. Now, what I think is interesting also, B.J. Ward, he ends up going five for nine. He'd been struggling shooting the ball. Ball handling. Three, finally. And, I mean, you know, he hit a three. And so that had to feel like a weight off because yeah. I think he was six for 47. He hadn't hit one in league three. play. Yeah, I mean, that's like 11%. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that had to feel good for him because I know I've asked you before, and you say he knocks him down in practice. Uh, really coming into it, that was the beautiful thing about him and Rob is you could play B.J. off ball because he is able to shoot the basketball. And, and Rob can shoot the ball, too. I mean, he's got a pretty good percentage from three. Yes, he does. Uh, but, again, you're probably not going to slide a five, seven, five, eight, even though he might think that he's six foot or six one. He's, he's not. Uh, you're not going to slide that guy to the two more times than not. So, again, B.J. being able to play there because he can do a lot of different things. He can play off of a screen. He can play in pick-and-roll basketball. Uh, but, again, he's, just, he's had good looks. We've had good looks all season long. Eric. They just have not gone in. Uh, and so, again, it was good to see him make that first one finally. And hopefully that's a sign and, and like you said, some confidence. Because uh, I think, again, sometimes we, we pass up some shots because we've missed a couple. And it's just like you have to continue to trust your work. You've got to put in the work. You can't just, well, I haven't made one, but I'll make one next time because I'm a shooter. It's like, no, 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 no. You still have to put in the reps. It's not going to just magically appear for you. Uh, so as long as you're putting in the reps, you're, it's the right play and the right pass and the right time to shoot it, you got to let it go. So hopefully this can be something. Because if he can hit a couple threes for us, he's got a great assist turnover. He's still 2-1 to one, uh, assist turnover. So as a freshman, that's great. Uh, we expected that from, from B.J. at the beginning of the season. But, again, freshman, college basketball is real. And uh, just taking him a little bit of time to, to get his feet up under him. So, but hopefully this is the start of what he could become. And he hits that uh, patented runner of his again. He hit that on a, on Saturday. I still say there should be a mandate, BJ, every game you must attempt at least two of those runners. You have to attempt at least two. As long as they go in. It always goes in. Maybe a couple uh, of times it doesn't go in, but yeah. more often than not, I bet he's shooting 65, 70% with that runner. Yeah, and he, but he's got a good he's got a good little burst to him. That's why he has good assist turnover because he, he's, he's very cerebral. And he's, he's under control. He's got a good body. He's a strong kid. Uh, so, again, he's again. we talk a lot about Josh early and coming into this year about coaches always wanting more from him because you see the potential. Like we always want more from B.J. because you see the potential in him yeah. because he can. He's got a lot of different things that he can do. If you're if you're two-to-one assist turnover, you can – I know the percentages don't say it, but he can shoot the basketball. If you've got a floater game in a mid-range because you're not going to be able to get to the rim every single time, that's a good player. And 
uh, again, it's just it's it's reps. It's it's real college basketball. It's Hubert Davis in the national championship game a year ago. It's live action. It's live action out here, baby. And uh, so I think just BJ getting into that consistently. I think hopefully this is now he's he's through that little rut that everybody goes through at some point. Hopefully this is the beginning of what he can be uh, to finish out the season because we need it. And the Tar Heels just beat uh, Duke on Saturday. All right, we're going to bring uh, Braxton Stacker. Uh, on to the show, Coach, and, uh, you know, when you think of Braxton Stacker, the first thing you think of is just length and athleticism. Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, your recruiting of Stacker. Just, I mean, Murray State just didn't give him an opportunity, uh, but he's getting an opportunity here, uh, a winner in high school, really a, a winner at every level. Uh, tell us about Braxton Stacker and how many plays do you run for him because his that alley-oop, and you've had a few of them with him. Man, that's not only a positive play, but it's an exciting play for the fans. Yeah, I, I think that really I texted Stack after the game on Saturday and just I said I, I, the last two games I've really seen him kind of settle in. I think early on, especially when you come from another school and you, where you didn't play, you want to prove that you can play and do all these things. And I think early in the season and really throughout the season, you're trying to do all these things. Stack, is, he's kind of one of those pleaser kids. He wants to do what you tell what you're telling him to do, and so it's like I'm gonna try and do all these things, and then you really don't do what you do well when you're trying to do all things and be all things to all people. So trying to really get him to focus on, be a great defender, get rebounds, and finish around the rim. Like that's all you have to worry about. And all the other things that you do, and the way that you play, and the young man that he is, will take care of itself. Uh, so again, an up and down, start stop type of a year for him. And the, but really, these last two games, it's kind of been you kind of see what he's going to become. Uh, as we continue to move forward, and that's a that's an elite defender. It's a great athlete, as you mentioned. Uh, but again, he's he's a kid that brings joy and excitement. Works on his game. Uh, we need more leadership, and I think him and Rob and some other guys, as we continue to move on and move forward, can really spearhead a lot of that uh, energy and positivity and work ethic uh, that you need. But uh, watched him in high school, actually at Cardinal Ritter, and uh, he played. AAU basketball with a lot of guys. He grew up playing AAU basketball with Rob and BJ, actually, uh, coached by BJ's dad. And um, So, again, we knew who he was when we went to Murray. Murray was still in the conference at that time that he went to Murray, and I was like, shoot. And then they left, and I was like, great. We don't have to play against that kid. So uh, seeing him out of high school and then, again, what he could be, uh, you, you knew just because, again, he's got the athleticism, the size uh, that you want and need in the OVC to be competitive. So uh, just really pleased with who he is as a person. And I know he's not exactly the, the quote-unquote success that he's wanted early in the season to this point. Uh, but really the last two, I think you've been able to see what he's going to ultimately become. Um, and, again, I'm not trying to talk about next year already, but, you know, the la these last eight regular season games, if he can continue to do that, if BJ can do what they're doing now, we can start to hit some rhythm and a stride of what we thought we were going to be maybe a month or two ago. But, uh, you know, Braxton is uh, – we run those – we run a couple of plays for him. Uh, we've got a couple other plays that we run for him. But I think that the thing with Braxton is he's got so many tools that he – of course we're going to continue to run those plays and do those things for him, but he has so many tools and so many attributes that he's that guy that can get a lot done without his number being called every single time down the floor. So um, just continue to play with that motor, um, but a very well-spoken, high character, great family, all that type of stuff that coaches love and that we need in the program. But um, it's going to be a great offseason, big offseason for him. And, again, another guy that this is really his freshman year of basketball because yeah. he did not get that opportunity. And the coach that was at Moorhead is now at Murray. Uh, when he left, he was just like, man, that's the one guy we did not want to leave off our team. 
Uh, so they, they saw something in him, even though he didn't get that opportunity that he deserved or didn't deserve or whatever the case may be. Uh, so we're glad that he's here now and can continue to be uh, ultimately what I think is it could be an all-league type guy. Braxton Stacker is going to join us next when we come back. Quick time outward, wings, etc. It's with Braxton Stacker for the Red Hawks. Uh, what, uh, what was for lunch? I saw you enjoying that delicious wings, etc. menu. Um, I had the hot honey garlic wings. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I had the 10-piece bone-in. It's pretty good. See, we had to distinguish there between bone-in and boneless because most of the players go with bone-in. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It kind of depends on the day for me, whether I'm going to go with um, bone-in or boneless. But today I felt more like a bone-in type of guy, so that's what I went with. And you don't want to get your fingers messy. I, I can see the boneless because you stay – you Definitely. stay a little cleaner, but if uh, if you've got the the little wipes and you don't mind having to wash your hands, man, I, I, I'm I'm a bone-in guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The days, you know, where we may be on the bus or something, or you know, it kind of got to be a quick transition. You can go with the bone list, but today was one of those days. You know, I had the napkins right beside me, so you know, I had to go with the traditional bone-in. He was all set. They got big rolls of paper towels here at Wings, etc. So uh, <laughs> you don't have to worry about getting your fingers dirty. We can help you out with that all right uh, you guys uh, embark on a uh, an interesting part of your schedule you've got a three-game homestand one game down two to go before you uh, head back out on the road and then uh, the next to last game of the season is at moorhead state followed by a trip to southern indiana so uh, you want to take care of things while you are here at home for the next two games uh yes sir you know um just trying to take that like you said that home advantage and, um, you know, try to get these games at home before going back out on the road, you know, because, you know, more confidence at home, you know, um, home, you know, you feel like you have your spots, you know, it's your gym. So, um, you know, get some more shots to fall. So, yeah, definitely want to take care of business at home uh, before going back out on the road. So last year they only allowed you to get on the floor for 12 games. You had limited minutes uh, at, at Murray State. So you transfer here to SEMO. How quickly did you realize how much they do not like the racers here in Cape Girardeau? <laughs> um, pretty much almost instantly. I know we had um, an event at the park. Uh, a lot of alumni came back. A lot of uh, supporters from the SEMO fan base came uh, to the park, you know, showed some love for the upcoming season. And uh, they all was like, are you the guy that transferred from Murray? And I was like, sadly, yeah. And, you know, I heard, heard a little bit about the rivalry between um, Southeast and uh, the Racers. But uh, definitely glad to, you know, come come uh, be a SEMO Redhawk. So, yeah. But, yeah, I definitely heard that almost instantly as soon as I got here. Yeah, and uh, by the way, Murray's 500 in their conference. Uh, just wanted to <laughs> throw that out there with the racers. So uh, you, uh, you're from Fairview Heights, Illinois. That, that's very close to St. Louis. Yep, uh, pretty much 15 minutes away. Uh, I went to Belleville East High School uh, my freshman and sophomore year and then ended up transferring to um, Cardinal Ritter College Prep uh, in St. Louis for my junior and senior year and graduated from there. So you played for the Lions and you won a state championship at Cardinal Ritter. How cool is that? Uh, definitely an awesome experience. Um, it was my junior year, so my first year transferring there. Uh, it was after COVID, um, first season after COVID. So, 
you know, just to be able to come in right away and bond with those guys and, you know, build that relationship and being able to take it on and go win a championship was definitely a, a very, very high moment in my career. Boy, it's hard to win a state championship, isn't it? Yep, yep, yeah, it's a long season, you know, uh, playing high school basketball, you know, a lot of the games are kind of right after each other, and then, um, you know, you got to hopefully you don't have any injuries on the team, and then um, to be able to make it that far with the luck that we had, you know, and then just being able to stay consistent, it was a great feeling. 1,400 points at Cardinal Ritter. I mean, that you were a scorer in high school. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, trying to transfer that a little bit here. But, um, you know, high school, you know, um, just kind of played my game was a little bit more freely. And, um, you know, Coach Corn's been telling me, you know, try to get back to that. And just you know, you know, kind of play stress free, you know, because he tell he could tell that I'm tense out there at sometimes. But yeah, definitely in high school, I used to get take a lot of shots too, also. But um, yeah, I definitely scored a lot of baskets in high school. So you were the Missouri Defensive Player of the Year in the entire state. How much pride do you take in defense? Um, a lot of pride, you know. Um, I f I feel that I'm a lead defender. Um, I always want to guard the opposing team's best player and um, just to hold the, limit them what they can do for their team to give us a better chance. Um, so, you know, Coach Corn, uh, he loves giving me assignments with the other opposing teams, you know, best player or, you know, leading scorer. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, I, um, I take it on, you know, I take it on kind of with a chip on my shoulder and just try to do what I can do. And he trusts me with those assignments. So, um I thank him for that, and I just try to do what I can do to be an elite defender. So you, B.J. Ward, Rob Martin, all guys from the St. Louis area, how much did you guys kind of communicate uh, when you were t thinking about whether or not you are going to come to CMO, and they were thinking about whether or not they were going to come to Cape Girardeau? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm really close with B.J. I've been knowing him since I was, shoot, probably – fourth grade, fifth grade, so um, I knew he committed to SEMO, you know, coming out of high school, you know, I was already at Murray, so when I entered the portal, definitely talked with Rob also, because seeing him earlier that year, we, Murray State played Indiana State, talking with him a little bit, so we definitely talked, um, you know, and just kind of came together, and, you know, um, relationships, you know, being able to play along people that, you know, you like as people also, or, you know, it's a good feeling, so, you know, just being able to have already those built-in relationships and talking with them, you know, it just seemed perfectly fit. And Coach Wheeler, uh, he recruited me also out of high school back when he was at, um, at Southern Illinois Carbondale, so I knew him well. So, um, you know, it, was, it just seemed like the perfect fit. And like Coach Corn said earlier, he uh, came to Cardinal Ritter and saw me while I was in high school, so I already knew who he was and, you know, could put a face with the name. So. You know, it definitely seemed like a great fit for me. So it doesn't look like your paths crossed. Maybe they did. Uh, but uh, I would say the most famous cat lately to come out of Cardinal Ritter is Luther Burden the third, who is just tearing it up at the University of Missouri. Did your paths cross at Cardinal Ritter, Luther Burden? Yeah, he, um, he played uh, the first semester uh, on the basketball team. Um, yeah, so we played together. Um, pretty much up until um, the Christmas break, and then he ended up transferring schools to go to East St. Louis um, on the Illinois side. But, yeah, definitely 
know Luther, you know, um, talk with him a couple of times. You know, we have, have a pretty had a pretty good friendship. And, yeah, um, I've been keeping up with him, you know, congratulating him on a lot of his accomplishments. And, you know, he's definitely doing doing his thing and um, probably a future future first-rounder in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, definitely just congratulating him. Hope he continues to do well and um, can, you know, make a name for himself and also put Cardinal Ritter on the map. And also, you know, he's probably the first Cardinal Ritter athlete, uh, really one of the first Mizzou athletes to have a really big NIL deal. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's making bank at Missouri, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's making a, a lot of money, and that's one of the things um, now with NIL. It's uh, also opportunity for yourself, but being in college, you know, it's also opportunity for your family, uh, the amount of money he's making. Um, you know, he's... The, he's producing on the field, and it's allowing him to uh, open up other opportunities uh, off the field um, financially. So, you know, that's that's fantastic for him. Braxton Stacker, our guest here on the Red Hawks Coaches Show. So we've all seen him play football. You've seen him play basketball. You played with him. Could he play Division One basketball? Uh, my guess, definitely. Yeah, he's just one of those people who's just, you know, in – an all-around athlete. He could probably play Division One baseball if he really put it, put his mind to it. But um, yeah, he he definitely was a big part um, of our our team my junior year when he played with us. Um, definitely would have helped us. I feel like if he would have stayed on the team, we still, you know, obviously would have won a championship. But he was a big key po- component of our team that season. Yeah, definitely feel like he could have played Division One basketball if he decided to stick with it. All right. So we have seen you uh, do some highlight reel stuff uh, on the basketball court. These alley-oops, and, and they haven't all been dunks. I mean, and we're, we're going, t- first of all, take us through that final play at the end of the first half at Little Rock. you got Marquez Bell on the sideline. He's inbound of the ball. Marquez hadn't seen a whole lot of minutes in the first half. He has lately uh, in the first half of games. So you guys probably hadn't worked together a lot in a game situation, but he's on the sideline over near the Little Rock bench. You got less than a second left. I think it was .6 or .7 seconds. Mm -hmm. He throws a ball up near the rim. You kiss it in off the window right before halftime. Gave the Red Hawks a a three-point lead and a lot of momentum. Take us through that play and how good was that pass? Yeah, it was a phenomenal pass, really, from, you know, Marquez. Like you said, he hadn't played that much in the first half of the season. So for him to be able to um, have the wherewithal and uh, confidence to make that pass, it was big for us. And I'm not sure he really knew the play to begin with, but Coach Corn kind of just told him, you know, th- throw it at the rim to stack. And so that's what he did. He threw a perfect pass, and, um, you know, I just tipped it in and did the rest. But, yeah, the pass – was really just right there. I didn't really have to do too much. So, um, yeah, credits to Marquez. It was a great pass. And for him, like you said, for him to be able to make that pass with uh, not playing that much in the se- first half of the season, it was it was a great, great pass. Okay, let me ask you this. Your vertical leap, what is it? And secondly, how high on the backboard can you reach when you <laughs> jump at your apex? Um. My, I mean, I tested my vertical probably a couple of years ago. I think it was around uh, 43 or 44 uh, <laughs> uh, being an approach. Wow. Just flat foot, though, probably uh, right at a 40. And um, how high can I touch on the – probably above – definitely probably above the square, you know, of my adrenaline running if, if in the game. But, um, yeah, definitely probably above the square if I get a running start in, uh, during the game when that adrenaline's pumping, you know, give me an extra boost. Who can challenge you in a dunk contest on this roster? 
Um, probably on the roster we have now, probably um, the only competitor I probably have is probably a Quan. You know, he's a he's a you know great athlete as well. You know, Marquez is pretty. He's pretty athletic, but um, I don't know if he'd be able to hang. Um, but I definitely I've seen uh, Quan do some some pretty some pretty cool dunks. But um, I'd still I like my odds though. I think I'd come out on top. He's but. missed a couple of dunks this year. I yeah, gotta, I gotta be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, warm up sometimes like warm ups and just in practice he'll do something and make you be like, wow, like I can't believe he just did that, but. You know, I, I do have a couple edges on him, but I think I like my chances still. I like your chances too. One thing that I see when I watch Quan going full speed, I can't believe how fast yeah. this guy is with these long strides. Now we had Rob Martin on this show, mm-hmm. and I said, "Who wins a foot race? Is can anybody beat a Quan Smart in a foot race, baseline to baseline?" Rob said he could, but he didn't know if anybody else could. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to get somebody else's opinion. Who beats a Quan Smart on a straight foot race? Anybody? Um, I think what Rob said was absolutely false. I don't th- <laughs> that's, what, that's what Coach Corn said. Too. I don't think anybody on our team's beating a Quan. I don't if it's the length of the court or 40 yard dash, whatever you want to line it up. I I I, I put my money on a Quan definitely. I don't. I don't <laughs> I'm not sure what Rob was thinking, but yeah, I. I definitely got my money on a coin for All sure. All right, my money's on a coin too. Braxton, it was great to catch up with you. Uh, yes, glad you enjoyed your uh, delicious bone-in wings here from Wings, etc. We'll see you Thursday night at the Show Me Set. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks All for right. having me. Braxton Stacker, former Murray State racer, current SEMO Redhawk. Final word with Coach Corn about uh, Thursday night's showdown with the Golden Eagles. After this, it's the Redhawks on the road. Next week, but two games this week at home. It's Thursday against Tennessee Tech. The men's game will go at 7:45, uh, and then about 3:45 on Saturday. Uh, the only meeting this year—that's the way the schedule goes—with uh, the Tennessee State Tigers. Uh, Red Hawks will not go to Nashville, and they will not host Eastern Illinois this year at home. Just go to Charleston, uh, Coach. The first meeting with Tennessee Tech. Uh, they've got a couple of, uh, of really good players. They've got a go-to player. Uh, your thoughts on playing the Golden Eagles for a second time coming up, and I know you guys kind of keep as close tabs as you can about who's out, who's been injured, and you really, I guess, don't know until game time. Yeah, I don't think you're going to know with them either. Just talking with Coach Pelfrey right before our game at their place, he just said it was a crazy year for them just with weird injuries just out of nowhere. He said uh, almost some overnight injuries for them, so it's always – Interesting. I know we dealt with that a lot last year. You get a phone call or an email the next morning as far as this guy's out or that guy's out. Well, how'd that happen? Uh, so just they've had some some kind of weird injuries, as it from what it sounds like from from coach. Uh, and I know they only played seven guys. I think it was in their last game. Uh, I, I thought maybe someone said they had only played seven. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but. Uh, Dealt with some injuries, but uh, it's going to be another interesting situation because of the way that they play, Eric. They, put, they post guys. They don't have a true center. Talked a lot about that, how they put high ball screen, and now your center's got to come out and play. Again, Josh had another good game against them last time. Another game without Dylan, who Dylan did play in the last game against them, so he understands the switches, and we can switch a lot with him and keep things out front and don't lose anything from a physicality standpoint. So a guy like Braxton is going to be very, very important, uh, again, in this game. Um, so it's going to be very, very interesting. And, again, we, we keep talking about more so taking care of ourselves and making sure we're right 
I think our guys know. You could line any of our players up right now, Eric, and ask them. You could add Staxon up here and tell you everything about Tech, and they'll be able to tell you their strengths, their weaknesses, the players, their numbers, which hand they are, what shooting percentages. So, again, second time around, we're going to know the scouting report. It's just a matter of can we execute it, can we be on time, on target with our offense, are we connected, are we hooked up, are we playing with joy, do we have passion. You know, that's really what it's going to come down to. Javis Harvey is their guy. 19 points in the first meeting. You found him five times. He hit all eight of his free throws. He's a really good player. He is. Um, Hope is he on the injured list? That would be that would be all right. I'm gonna dive into that after uh, after okay. after this right. and after practice. I but but I mean, he's a good player. He is. He is a good player. He's strong. I mean, just strong. You see a lot of the OBC is very very physical inside the arc this year. I don't know if it was as physical a year ago, but. Um, Seems to be very, very physical inside the arc with guys like him. They can kind of get it at the top of the key, but then work their way down to the block. It's not just sitting on the block, getting the cross screen, throwing it in. They can they find their way in there. Little Rock, um, Western Illinois. It just seems that that's the kind of the, the identity of the league right now as far as finding your way down in that mid-post area. Riley Minix at Moorhead. He finds his way into the post and uh, shot fake and get to the rim and can make threes. So uh, going to have to be very, very uh, physical out front. Knowing when we're switching, when we're not, who we're switching with, who we're not switching with. Uh, so, again, they do a good job of putting you in compromising situations. Again, the team that's been very similar to us, even a year ago, they were one of the tops offensively as well. And now a different type of a style, a different type of personnel. So, uh, we'll see how many adjustments and, and what they've made from the last time we've played. And I'll dive into that personally a little bit more. And when Riley Simmons comes into the game, he's only in there to shoot three-point shots. We know that. And then... Well, we know that it's just a matter of executing right. because we knew that last time too, and then we and I think again sometimes our guys like one of those threes that he hit we helped off the corner which we do, we don't do, and then the other time we let him catch it and then he shot it right in our face and it's like then our guys are like well I was there it's like yeah, you're there but you're there to not let him shoot and so again it's just knowing it and then applying Make it. Make him drive things. the ball. Yeah, exactly. And then for those who remember the end of the Tech game and how could you forget Deontay Wood was the guy that hit the shot we initially thought was a three. Woods back this year. He is, and um, he's battled some injuries too. Um, he's kind of been an up and down uh, season for him. Uh, but again, another guy that puts you in compromising situations. If he plays anything close to what he did in the OVC championship game, he just was a matchup nightmare. Career high game. Yeah, catching it at the elbow, catching it 15, 16 feet from the basket, and being able to drive and make moves in there. So uh, we're going to have to be ready to go. Again, more physicality out front, more toughness all the way around, and then hopefully our offense gets some, a little bit better timing and passing. Um, we've Work tirelessly on it, and at some point it's got to come to fruition for us. All right, 745 on Thursday for the Red Hawk men. The women go at uh, 515. We'll see you then, Coach. Thanks, as always, for your time. Okay, sounds good, Eric. Thank you. All right, thanks to Braxton Stacker as well, and thanks to uh, Rachel Cook, our producer on site here at Wings, etc. Stay tuned. We'll get you back into regular programming programming easy for me to say on espn radio enjoy the rest of your monday everybody so long from